Welcome to Tech News of the Week with your host, Wendy from Accounting. Welcome to Todd Never Owns Waistcoats. This is our weekly tech news podcast where we talk about four interesting things that we found in the news. Again, I handled the mean article because I am a champion and a titan of industry. So Chris, why don't you get us started with something that caught your eye? Elon Musk ordered to return massive Tesla compensation package due to being a liar. (laughs) Okay. This one from the You Can't Spell Schuldenfraude Without Fraud department. Well done. Thank you. Elon Musk was sued by Tesla shareholders in Delaware's Chancery Court. Why? Because back in 2018, he was paid an unbelievable $56 billion, that's with a B, Mm -hmm. in Tesla stock options stuff as a reward for Tesla the company hitting some allegedly unattainable performance goals. I say allegedly because the shareholder suit shows that those goals were actually expected. And Musk hid the data regarding them from the board prior to all parties signing this contract. So, in effect, Musk lied to Tesla about Tesla's expected growth so that he could sign a quote-unquote risky contract (laughs) that would pay him massively if the company performed massively. Oh, and it didn't hurt that he was super buddy-buddy with approving parties on the board. So much so that they did next to nothing to vet the projections in question. Ooh. This was 2018, remember. People actually still had positive feelings about Tesla. Now, what appeared as a long shot bet based on bravado was actually much closer to a sure thing. Proven in court, remember. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not technically a pure tech news item, but I think it's worth noting because the story is yet another piece of evidence that shows Musk will lie, cheat, and in this case, literally steal, just to get his name in the papers, line his own pockets, and continue the myth of his own technical genius. His response to the court judgment was terse, saying, quote, never incorporate in the It's hard to understand him when he has that much DMT in his system. But what he said was, (laughs) never incorporate your company in the state of Delaware. To which I say, alternatively, maybe stop lying about everything to everyone all the time. Mm, It's a tough choice. Return to office does nothing for productivity. (gasps) I know. I'll give you a moment. (laughs) Okay. The global pandemic we experienced starting in the in early 2020, it was awful by almost every metric. And yet, one of the few silver linings is that people learned they could work from home, avoid long commutes and wasted time, and become overall more productive. It was a once-in-a-century opportunity to experiment with what a modern workplace could look like. And I think a lot of people learn that you don't have to clock into an office chair from 9 to 5 every day to be effective. Naturally, a large contingent of CEOs and upper management promptly freaked the fuck out, refused to learn anything, and ordered everyone back to the office 
while sticking their fingers in their ears and yelling, na, 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 I can't hear you, na, 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 na. So, um, how's that going? A new study from students at the University of Pittsburgh looked at 500 companies in the S&P, some of which instituted full return to work and some that allowed employees to stay remote or work a flexible schedule. Their conclusion, quote, Results of our determinant analysis are consistent with managers using RTO mandates to reassert control over employees and blame employees as a scapegoat for bad firm performance. End quote. Ouch. It's not exactly a ringing endorsement. <laughs> the study's authors go on to say, quote, tests report significant declines in employees' job satisfaction mandates but no significant changes in financial performance or firm values after RTO mandates, end quote. If I could summarize that, a lot of jargon there. Basically, a bunch of firms pissed off their employees for no significant value. But on the bright side, at least now I can keep an eye on Derek in accounting. He's always been a little squirrely. Ivanti Connect Secure determined to be too flawed to live by CISA. Oh, just like me. So stop me if you've heard this one before. A network hardware company is identified as having a crucial security bug. Crucial enough that the recommended fix is to stop using it completely. Now, to be fair, this was worse the last time it happened. Back when we were all told to basically nuke all Barracuda email security gateways from orbit. This time around... A crucial security bug was found in Ivanti's Connect Secure and Policy Secure products, such that the fix required by CISA is to, quote, unplug them immediately and do a force factory reset before even considering using them again. Ooh. In both cases, there were authentication bypass and command injection vulnerabilities that would allow full administrative control of the devices from anywhere. Since these products are internet-facing, well, <laughs> let's just say it makes sense that the best thing to do is turn them off immediately. If you're keeping score at home and you think that this report is redundant as the bug first made the rounds two weeks ago, well, this update from CISA is an update that states that the original notice's idea of a temporary workaround, not sufficient. They tried to fix the bug. Yeah. And it wasn't fixed. We fixed the glitch. <sighs> oh. SEC breach rules to stay. For now. In July of last year, the SEC changed their breach disclosure rules to require all publicly traded companies to report materially significant cyber attack breaches within four days. Four days. That's a pretty big change from whenever you get around to it. The SEC's primary concern is protecting investors, and we've certainly seen how a breach could impact a company's bottom line. Businesses' primary concern is to not be inconvenienced by the SEC, so predictably, their lobbyists working on behalf of publicly traded companies have been pushing to repeal the SEC decision through law. There are matching bills working their way through the House and Senate that would nullify the SEC rule. Now, I'm not one to read bills because they're long, bloviated, and like it's a lot of work. 
But this one is less than a page in length. And here's the meaty part. Quote, that Congress disapproves the rules submitted by the Securities and Exchange Commission relating to cybersecurity risk management strategy, governance, and incident disclosure, and such rules shall have no force or effect. That is legalese for nah uh Fortunately, the Biden administration has pledged to veto any such bill should it manage to pass muster. That's legalese for yaha. Uh-huh. There is unlikely to be enough support to overrule a veto, so it appears that the rule from the SEC will stand, at least until 2025, when the world will plunge into chaos and the four horsemen of the apocalypse will appear astride their bloody beasts to ravage the world and rent us asunder. At least that's what my magic eight ball told me, and it hasn't steered me wrong yet. No comment? (laughs) Hit comment. Won't comment. What's a comment? All right, that's it. We're done. Go away. Bye. (laughs) 